Hello listeners and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinomo Bitan and Professor Dan Cable. In each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers and we squeeze them apart for their best bits. What's up, Dan? You sound like... Excited? I'm excited. I'm I'm slightly more excited than usual. When did you last build something from IKEA? IKEA. When did I? I tell you what. Actually, I've only I've I've built a few things. The last thing I built from IKEA was a sofa bed for a friend, and we turned it into an evening. Yeah, we we got some bubbles, we got some food, we had a catch up, some music, fabulous. Put together sofa. I want friends like you. (laughs) Do you say IKEA? IKEA. I say IKEA. Yeah, yeah. I want to have some friends from Sweden. Uh, What else do I say? I say chorizo. I say Ibiza. I'm like, look, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time. Like. I just need a cabinet. Like, <laughs> I need to introduce a special guest. Do it. And I need to know how he says Ikea. Right? Ooh, yeah. But um, with us today is Bruce Daisley. Uh, Hello is- there. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. But do you pay respect to where the origin of something is? So the French insist on calling London Londres. It's, it's not Londres. It it's London. It seems Come on. We would know. Absolutely. We live here. And the Americans call Moscow, Moscow, yeah. which I suspect is slightly doffing the cap to the Russian spelling, whereas Brits are Moscow. That's yep. it. Yep. Get with it. And I've been laughed at. I've been laughed at on that one a lot of times. I just Moscow. Thought, yeah, on our very last episode. It sounds a little bit scouse for a British ear, you see. Mm, mm. Liverpudlian. Well, listen, when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, I had some friends that were from Sweden, and we said we're going to uh, Ikea. And they said, oh, no, that's not how you say it. Okay. It's Ikea. And then they said, we were laughing. We said, you know, but really, we all say it here, Ikea. And they're like, yeah, but it makes you sound so American. Right. And we were like, well, we're in, technically, we're <laughs> in Atlanta, which is technically <laughs> part of the United States. So if anybody would get to say, so they went, though, but the company is located there. So they were real strong and proud, right. obviously. There was a lot of pride that was welling up and that we were just getting it wrong. So. Oh, wow. so while we're on the subject of <laughs> we just dive in? furniture. <laughs> uh, oh, so yeah, so so because we have a guest. Why? Why? Well, <laughs> yeah, we can say something about yeah, it. Yeah, what's up, Bruce? Well, so if you could give us a little bit as to... I know a little bit about okay, you. So, so for the listeners, uh, who, who are you? What do you do? So my day job is I work at Twitter. I run Europe for Twitter. I'm also a workplace culture obsessive. So I've got my... If there's like a call to action, then I'm going to give the shout out to I run my own podcast, Eat Sleep, Sleep, Work, Repeat. And that's about making work better. Daniel has been on it at some point. And each week it's it's trying to interpret some of the psychology, neuroscience, and and really just broad sociology of how we can improve work. And uh, I've also done a book of Let's plug the book. Great book. book. I've done a book called The Joy of Work. Now, Marie Kondo has a book coming out next spring called The Joy at Work, Mm. and she will be hearing from my lawyers. (laughs) 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 I'm trying to take advantage of owning the real estate of joy and work as quickly as possible before Kondo comes in. You should challenge her to trial by combat, because I've watched every single episode of Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, and having a look at you, I think you could take her. (laughs) Just saying. In the combat-y kind of way. I just don't want to get physical right now about this. I want to try and assert my rights in an intellectual way I feel like there should always be an underlying threat of physical (laughs) physical (laughs) altercation just so people know what's up 
condo, so? condo? Yeah. If you don't get your tanks off my lawn, I'm coming to mess up your alphabet. Yeah. 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 I'm using my words right now, but later on, I'm going to unroll all of your crop tops. <laughs> Uh, so yeah so um funnily enough as well so dan you have your book alive at work uh and your book is the joy of work yeah i had to be careful i know because he would unroll and in my day job i research positive psychology and behavioral science but from the perspective of of work and life but this study that we're looking at today which dan will introduce for us is is not work based. Not this entirely. Is, this is an interesting phenomenon. I love how has... it brings some work in. Um, but basically, it's called the IKEA. I'm going to go and say it as an American: the IKEA effect. When labor leads to love, so the idea that by working on stuff, we start to love the stuff more. And this is by Mike Norton, who's at Harvard, Daniel McCone. Uh, and he's at Tulane University, and Dan Ariely, who is now at Duke University. And I wonder if you could help us, Dan, just unpick, as as you're an academic who's had papers published, could you help us unpick the... Um, the way that these names on papers work, and like, and the the, the hierarchy, yeah, the, yeah. the stratosphere of names. Because I would see Dan Ariely as maybe a Calvin Harris figure on on social papers. He's like, he's a, he's a super producer. He's out there when he puts his name to something, it becomes a hit. But he's probably not right at the top of God level. He's not like. He, uh, he's not David Guetta. He's not Diplo. You know, he's not God. Like Adam Grant, I would see as Diplo. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much bossing the scene. Yes. Anything Adam Grant does immediately becomes a massive global smash. Ariely's more Calvin Harris level. He had his big breakthrough. Yeah. Right? That was predictably irrational. Um, what I'd say about that is he is for real a bona fide researcher that kind of, you know, did his serious work and then had a breakthrough book. That's one thing. Um, in the sense, um, you have some folks, you know, that become really big, almost Malcolm Gladwell type huge megastars around science, but they haven't done the science. Right. So it's mm. more journalistic. Right. With integrity, though. So Simon Sinek might be an example Bingo. of that. Whereas you have Dan Ariely that comes right out of science. He does behavioral economics and so on. He, you know, sort of bona fide, you could say. Mm -hmm. Now, it's possible that he and Mike Norton just know each other. But what we usually do in our field, the author order implies how much contribution you made to the study. So in this case, just reading this without knowing, I know Mike a bit, but uh, I don't know what they would have done. But Mike Norton probably had a lot of the original ideas and gathered a bunch of the data. I don't know if you noticed, one of the studies, the data was gathered in a Southeast University in the United States, right. which is where Duke would be. Ooh. Okay. And one was in the Northeast United States, is where Harvard would Harvard, be. Yeah. Yep. And so it could be that Dan Ariely worked with Daniel um, uh, McCone and gathered that one study's data together. It could be that Dan Ariely and Mike Norton hung out over beers and just kicked around the idea and said, I wonder if it's not back a napkin kind of talk. I wonder if it's not the case that by doing work, instead of depreciating, it actually adds value in. You know, maybe that sort of flash of insight could have come okay. from I love, I love the idea of social scientists in a bar chilling out 
and this is the yes. kind of stuff yes. that like they get rowdy. Well, we get lit. Where like the the bar staff are like, the two of you are going to have to calm it down because you're disturbing <laughs> the other patrons. On the and table. yeah, they're pal- and they're just discussing the God idea. Damn it, you have to listen to me, man. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I was going to say something incriminating there, so let me rephrase the way that I say it. It's like when you're having an especially good time with a friend, and the two of you come up with like a book idea or a business idea, but these guys actually go out yeah. and do it. Yeah. I've come up with so many amazing business ideas and book ideas with friends when I was having an especially good time. None of them amounted. The next day, you're a bit like, I don't really think yeah. that's worth anyone's yeah. time. But I imagine with social scientists, when they kick it and have a coffee or a beer or just hang out, this is the kind of stuff where, and then they connect and network yeah. and think, Let's get started. I think that one of the things that's really exciting about this at a top level is many people know about this concept called the endowment effect. And maybe you've even heard of it. If you hand out coffee mugs, for example, to some people, and then they can even use it or whatever, and now it's time to bid on that. If you have touched it, if you've held it, if it's been given to you, it becomes worth more to you than anybody else. And so sometimes it's even two or three times more simply because it's your something you've held. And that's been a strange thing called the endowment effect. And what this adds, because this could just be seen as an endowment effect, what they're showing here is even when you've touched it and like build it, by unbuilding it, the value dissipates. Oh, let's let's backtrack a bit. Yeah. So for the listeners, let's break down uh, yeah, yeah. what the IKEA effect yeah, is let's do that. Let's and do that. why it's worth paying mm. attention to as well because uh, i think what you're mentioning is from i think the third i'm getting into the i'm getting into the weeds i'm then. so jumping i'm gonna have Eddie. to ask you to calm down wow wow, wow. <laughs> but i'm so excited well bruce what do you what do you think about the ikea effect if you had to summarize it do you want to explain what the ikea effect is or do we feel i think you're it? gonna do it okay right okay okay if you can if okay, you can it's so, so mystical so in this case here, some people were invited in and asked to assemble an IKEA box, which I couldn't quite visualise. Yeah. And yeah. is and it wooden? Is it cardboard? Yeah, that's right. right. They, is it mahogany? They especially made a concentrated effort to make the box as simple as I guess not as simple as possible, but to make sure it was something that was super simple to assemble. Yeah, and I think they were paid $5 for coming along to do the experience. And then they were asked how much they were prepared to pay. Now, here's what... I want to go into this in a second. But what they were prepared to pay, there was a strong difference between what they were prepared to pay if they built it and what they were prepared to pay if they didn't build it. For me, and this is what I want to draw on an academic's perspective... The amount they were prepared to pay was pretty small in yeah. both cases. Yeah. They were prepared to pay like 50 cents for this box if they'd built it. But about 20 cents, I think. I yeah. mean, I, I've yeah. said those numbers wrong. If they didn't build no. it. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, is this just politeness on both yeah. accounts? Yeah. That are they? The, the immediate question that springs to mind for me is... Yeah. You know, if Zuckerberg's looking for somewhere to put his money, putting some serious money into things like this actually would be incredibly... You know, if someone was offered a really beautiful item and they were offered hundreds of dollars, you know, or they were given... Would we see something more meaningful? I think that that's a really important... I'd call that a criticism of the study. It's the way I see it. I think, uh, number one, you got the numbers about right. In fact, um, 78 cents... If they made the boxes, 48 cents if not. Okay, so it added 63% 
massive jump in terms of value, but we're still not even at a dollar. Mm. And I think that to really look at this correctly, a sofa, for example, you have to remember that a lot of people pay to have their sofas built mm. for them. They pay people to it create there and even if they're unaware that's a great point as well because with some products you can pay to have it assembled i believe ikea offered that service actually they sure do and i've had it yeah, done yeah they've started i've had people it, come yeah. to my house because i don't want to spend the three to five hours yeah spend, and then i often get the panels in mm. wrong so like the mm, faux yep. wood is showing mm. in the wrong direction and then i'm not taking that thing back apart <laughs> but in, I mean, in addition well, i'm not undoing <laughs> it but in, addition, but in addition to that when you think about something like an iphone Partly why it is as expensive as it is, is because Apple have had to invest in teams of people who assemble those. So like if we bought an iPad, an iPhone, and we had to assemble it ourselves, part of why we pay X amount of money for an iPhone is because someone else Mm. has done the job for us. We just switch it on and use it. We turn it on and we go. But interestingly, I think the three of us all have iPhones. Yeah, I imagine even if one of us had the best iPhone... We wouldn't want to change. We'd want our iPhone. Yes, it's got yeah. our pictures That's on right. it. It's Personal. got our, yeah. yeah. So even though like Apple sell billions of these things, I've got my yeah. iPhone. And I think that's the endowment effect yeah. where because I've held it yeah. and I've like touched it, it's yeah. like I'm now attached it. to that I actual iPhone, yeah. despite it being a mass produced product yeah. that I could just replace easily. I'm attached to that actual one. Mm. Whereas the eye care effect is suggesting that when you have a hand in assembling something yourself, yeah. that creates a different effect to the endowment that's effect. It. They yeah. are, they're really clearly want us to believe that, that that's something they're showing. And what I'm trying to play with is not that they could customize the boxes in any way. These are just standard, plain old boxes. It's a massive jump to say it's worth 63% more if you do some of the work. But I think Bruce's point is right on, which is sort of, if that was a sofa or that was a TV cabinet worth, let's say, $120 in this case, would it be worth 150 170 if you had to build it yourself? Well, they que- they do raise that question in the study. But in the intro, what they show is that it, it's actually working today because you have services like, uh, I think it's uh, Build-A-Bear, hmm. where yes. people actually yeah. go into stores – to assemble the bed and, and they're putting a markup on that. It. So people are saying, I will pay more for it if I can personalize it and make it myself. I and see, then they, I want my child to make it, rather than a child in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I thought with all the iPhone talk, we might need to. Be- <laughs> you're taking you're taking food out of these these Thai kids' mouths by building your bear yourself. This is how I feel. I'm contributing to the world by owning an iPhone. It's like, oh yeah, I'm keeping that person in employment. Uh, that's my way of um, <laughs> allowing that's myself painful. to feel a lot better about it. Um, but they also talked about haycations. I'm not sure if either of you had heard about okay, haycations yeah, prior. I read only in the paper. Yeah, in the paper, they talk about um, haycations. Oh, oh, sorry, only in the paper. Yeah, Yeah, same. But the idea about these haycations is people are visiting farms for, like, short breaks where you pretty much have to work for your food Mm. and for your... So people are paying to labour. There's a movie in the 80s called City Slickers. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those men wackily had to go out and round up cattle and and work with steer and so on and they paid for that i think that that whole notion of also going on to farms and sort of the whole organic farming thing yeah. where you work on the very food and pick the very food that you eat that night 
I think that that's um, one time, just a quick thing. We went to Italy once on a truffle hunt. And I mean, we spent about three and a half hours and it was really fun. You go with a dog and the dog is obsessed with truffles. Well, they can use pigs, but we used a dog. And my God, you had to get there so fast because otherwise the dog would eat, eat the them. truffle. Wow. Ah. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of euro worth of truffle. And it actually was really fun. But at the end, he took them all. Right. So mm. not only did we pay, I think it was a hundred quid each to do the thing. And it was, it was really fun. It was a great experience. You're out in the woods for hours. But then like we did find them all and it kind of felt for a while like they were ours. And then the dude took them and then he said, I will sell them back to you, get out but at a discount. Wow. So I, I remember it graded on me enough that I didn't get one, even though I very much like truffles. I had to put them on my eggs and pasta and so on. I was like, no, dude. Go back the I next mean, day and don't stop the dog from eating exactly. them. <laughs> Let that dog exactly. eat as many truffles I as I was wants. surprised when he didn't at least give us one or two. Come on. Or make some pasta with truffle yes. in it. Yes. As you Nothing. leave, you're like, Nothing. wow, what a kind act. I think it's quite, um, I guess if we, if we lift the findings off the paper slightly, I think it, it's, you, I, I believe we have to be in this day and time to really appreciate what this study is telling us. And what this study seems to be telling us, or at least telling me, is that people are a bit disenchanted by how easy life is. Like, we've got to a Mm. point now where... Because one of the examples Mm. that they lay out in the beginning was this idea of, I think it was in the 1950s, where they were producing cake mix for housewives. Mm. And... The, all yeah. they really need to do was, I think, just like add water and then just put it in. But they made it so easy to a point where housewives were a bit like, this isn't really challenging. It's not, I don't really feel like I've done anything. So they adjusted the, the recipe or the process by saying, we'll give you the mix. You need to include an egg, kind of like beat it and mix it yourself and then go away. And then people then felt like I have now, I made this. I've made mm. the cake as yes. opposed to I've just. Something about self-expression there, isn't there? There's something about if I'm having folks over or I'm doing something for the kids, I want it to feel like I did that for them. And if you remove all of my input from it, it comes literally like a goopy mass and I put that in a thing and then it's done. Some of that's just like buying it. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's I, interesting. And, and to, to add to that as well, which the two of you have, I imagine, done plenty of research into, this might be one of the problems with work. When work becomes too automated, prescripted, prescripted. If you're doing a job and you feel like if I dropped dead right now, what they would do is carry my corpse out, <laughs> leave it in the car park, and then before the in. day is done, someone else. Not only could they bring someone else in, but they can do my job at the level yeah. that I can do it. Yeah. How do you really feel like you're adding any value yeah. to the Nothing organization unique. or Nothing to the unique. world? So this is about self recognizing that you've made a contribution. That knowing that this item wouldn't be there without your endeavour. Yes. And I think probably we're, we're all looking for evidence of that, for evidence that we've mm-hmm. had a, we've created a mini dent mm. in the world. Yeah. Not a big one. And I believe they refer to it here as effort justification. And I think they also used the phrase effort justification, justification and also I think it was effectance. But this idea that what I do matters mm. essentially. Mm. And if everything's just given to you, I guess you're just like another cog in mm. the. You're just you're another mm. individual that's just mm. I don't know drinking like because I like I love popping into like coffee shops for like a nice posh coffee. The more run down and beaten up the coffee shop, the more I appreciate mm. the coffee. I want the kind of coffee where when you order it, you can see the person craft it. 
And then for me, that just tastes better. Mm -hmm. When I go to some of the bigger chains, Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like a glamorized coffee machine and it just doesn't taste as nice. Mm -hmm. But when I make coffee at home with my, like, my Italian cafetiere, Nothing can touch that. I don't care. Like, okay. nothing can touch the coffee that I make myself the, at home. I think that you go to the heart there of, of a big issue because a lot of those things are projections, right? You know, yes. you going into that shop, you are projecting on... That's excellent, the, By what you've seen there, yep. you're... You're imbuing the taste with something that isn't there. You create one hundred percent, and that's 100%. what they're saying and, here. And yeah, yeah, because like in the next study B, they went upscale a little bit away from the box, and they got Harvard research assistants. I love the idea of thinking of Harvard research assistants that are brought in, and they have to build, fold origami frogs or origami cranes, and their payment was some high quality origami paper. Well, no, no. Well, what's fascinating about this study is I believe in study one, the research, not the the candidates were paid to engage in the study. The madness, the madness, the insanity of study one B is people are signing up for the opportunity to buy origami. Like this is, they're told that you have a chance of purchasing something you don't want. And people are signing up to engage in a study to put, and I tell you what makes me know they don't want it because some of this origami was valued at around five cents. So it's like, I'm now going to use my time to have the opportunity to purchase something that I don't want. But if they folded it, here we go. Yeah. Five times more again but they still have to buy it right but again so this was 2012 (laughs) so this was touchably close this isn't like a 1950s thing this was my immediate my immediate no i was like 23 cents we're we're deducing something from someone paying 23 cents that there's something made themselves and that's where i think in one of one of dan Ariely's books he goes and does some work in india because he knows that by giving a hundred dollars in india i think in some cases it's such a life-changing amount that's right it's such a life-changing amount that you're able to see something that's of material consequence whereas in this case here someone bidding 23 cents for like a paper origami frog i mean it might be charming enough but 23 cents it just feels on the margins of trivial for me this this reminds me of one of the things that i hate about game shows i hate the episodes where they bring celebrities in because all of a sudden it doesn't matter i know they're doing it for charity usually the money's going to go to a charity but the competition just is eroded because you have a bunch of celebrities now who just want to kind of like make jokes right. kind of show that they're supporting a worthy cause but when you have contestants in that studio you like who the have sniff the sniff of desperation yeah like people yeah, need, like you, yeah they need yeah. to want it yeah. and I want then to hear when their they, life story and I want to hear yeah I love it when it starts and it's a bit like <laughs> oh hey we've got Carol now from Newcastle what would you do if you won 10k and Carol's like well actually marriage uh, counseling yeah <laughs> I just I just hate my, my spouse <laughs> this guy this guy <laughs> sitting there yeah. look at him look at him smirking did you see that smirk that's what we want to hear my friend I'm that's playing it. wheelie cases yeah bin bags that's what I'm, I want to hear I want a, I want a chainsaw <laughs> I want the person in the studio who is like I passed my driving test but I can't afford a car I want them to compete for the money because then it matters. So very similar to your point, when we start looking at some of these numbers, 
I guess the, the percentages are usually, in terms of the percentage difference, is usually more impactful than the amount of money. Because for a lot of us, it's like, you know, 25 pence doesn't about really matter that there's, much. There's a, um, a wonderful thing in Johan Hari's new book, which is uh, Lost Connections. And he talks about how the difference between drug um, drug testing in the UK and in the US. And in the UK, you do a test of drugs and you publish the test of drugs. And so you might end up with a, a drug that's tested on 18 people and it helps seven of the people. So you publish that test. In the US, you need to publish all of your working. You need to publish every test that you did, where I think in the case of Prozac, three quarters of the people who took Prozac, it had zero effects on them. Mm. And so you have to publish all of that. And that's my one of my questions about methodology here mm. is that we've seen that mm. people who've achieved a statistically significant result have then published that paper but what we miss is the sort of the blizzard we've we've caught a snowflake and missed the blizzard that we don't know how many people have done these things and i found myself when i saw the 23 cents visualizing the scenes you've got these students i suspect by the very fact that some of them signed up for the opportunity to bid that the scenario we're first entering into is that at the start of a term someone hands around a sheet of paper with maybe 50 experiments and said would you be interested in participating in these people who go through a tick list and they probably tick 30 of them that they're willing to do and immediately one of those ticks becomes would you be willing to bid for and like you know you and i and all three of us are sitting there debating right so people are willing to bid for these things and we're, what we're missing is is that in that room there's something that's so distant from reality mm-hmm. that us inferring anything from it could be a massive mistake and, and and like so this is one of my concerns this is why i would love in this realm of social science if there was more money in it where we could actually Real meaningfully get honest things because look the delight of this is that you find that the human brain is so mysterious right these the, the secrets of motivations the secrets of what triggers a desire to pay for something and not pay for something it's one of the mysteries of the human mind, right? That we still don't understand. And so that's why I worry that the science that is going into it just feels um, light rather than of substance. Another thing is the external validity, you know, while we're sort of like jumping in here. In the cake mix example, had they studied that with real people buying this cake mix for let's say 79 cents, where you don't need an egg or anything, is you just put it in the pan and go, Versus this one for a dollar, and you have to add an egg and mix it. And then there's real choices and real stores being made, which add up to millions, hundreds of millions Mm. if it's global. That's somehow more interesting than bringing kids into labs and having them fold things that they then bid on, but in a way not their own money because they've been given a fiver and then said you can bid if you want. And Anyway, I don't think that this is meaning less, but this was published in the Journal of Consumer Research. My guess is that's a top, top, top level journal if you study marketing. My guess is that the ideas are contagious and catchy enough that they wanted this idea out there. And the studies are showing three to five times greater value. And, you know, it's all there. It's just somehow you walk away from it wishing they'd studied actual sofas. Mm. I, I believe, though, what the, the value is, and I, I think for myself when I read these studies, the value is me now having tools that I can apply in my life. So I don't need the scientists 
to do all of the the science. If they can give me a model, so for example, um, one of the things that I've done uh, on dates before is instead of going out for dinner, I'd be like, come over mine. Mm -hmm. And instead of cooking for someone, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, let's cook together. Mm -hmm. And this is just this idea of like, Mm -hmm. you appreciate food a lot more. So similar to like my coffee example, like there's a different different appreciation for it. Um, So even with my friend who I went over there to help assemble the IKEA sofa bed, like we turned that into a thing. And I imagine for them, they have a greater value in the sofa because they've assembled it themselves with my help. But it's also brought us closer as friends because mm-hmm. we've now engaged in something where we've united and yeah. putting something together. So I feel for myself, some of the value of this science is here's a different way that I can approach a situation. Yeah. And I know there's lots of companies that do like, I believe they call it like A-B testing. So if you land on their website, you'll get two different variations and then they can measure, are people more likely to click on this or click through if we give them this version or that version and i believe that's part of the gem of a study like this is not to say necessarily that this is the way the world works or the brain works because as you rightly say it's brilliantly mysterious and that's part of the beauty of it but it's to say here's now an approach that you can apply so that if you are in certain situations Mm. you can say well Mm. do i want to do it this way or do i want to do it that way and if i do it that way here's a way in which i might get more value Mm. out of what i'm doing yeah Do, do you think it gives us an access point to permit us to use anecdote as a data point that effectively so for example when i originally i used to live in a house and it sounded it will sound immensely bourgeois i had a garden in this flat <laughs> was it in london it was, was it? i had i had a flat in london that had a garden. oh this guy <laughs> coffees Just, on bruce <laughs> <laughs> and in this flat that had the with a garden it had a disheveled garden and i constructed at the end of it using some bricks buried in the earth and some bricks that i purchased i constructed a um an area of decking and it became one of the proudest things in my life. So immediately, I'm familiar with this. I think, I know that that decking, I could have paid someone to do that for me. Or I could have done that myself. Mm-hmm. I know it was significantly more important in my life because I did that. And yes. it was a really good job. Yep. And so look, so what this paper immediately triggers in me is it gives me an access point for That's that it. anecdote right. yes. to be now a valuable contribution. Do you want to hear a counterpoint? Here we go. <laughs> I was down in Atlanta, You knocked down that garden. Well, not yours, but <laughs> we were down in Atlanta, Georgia, and my wife and I, we used to renovate old houses. And so we bought this one house and really nice couple. And the guy was at the time showing us in this one room, he called it his den. He'd put all this shelving up and then he had all these little knickknacks and trinkets and discs, CDs, something you probably haven't heard of back in bed. Hey. Was, oh, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> very first night we got in there, we closed, say, five o'clock, went out and had dinner. By 7.30, we're ripping all that shit down because like, we just thought it was ugly. And so behind it, he'd done this thing where he had carpeting behind the shelves. That's all coming down. So the very next morning, we have a good night's sleep. You know, we had lots of beer and laughter and so on. And we put it all on the street to be taken by the by the garbage truck. And the very next day, he came over. No. no. Yeah. This is my heart is breaking. And um, what <laughs> happened was he just forgot some keys or something. And he's looking at the things that he masterfully had done that we'd had a great time laughing at and ripping down. And he goes, you would have been amazed at how much stuff they held. And it was just such a whimper. And what it was is for him, it had, you could see in his eyes, it had this enormous value. He probably spent like eight months doing it. I mean, it's measured perfectly. 
the carpeting behind it was like attached perfectly. It wasn't coming down. But Never looked back. Just... Never looked back. That's his mistake. That He's was... broken his own heart there. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but the, like the, the two... You obviously didn't read this study you carefully. Know, I've never gone to Google Earth and had a look if my decking's still there. He needs, <laughs> he needs to move on. But the two of you raise a great point because part of what they were exploring here is the hedonic value and the utility... Utili- utili- the utility of something basically yeah yeah usefulness of something and and those are two factors which do drive how we feel about something like is what i'm putting together of use and also is it something like of use practically and is it something of use emotionally so for him it served both purposes where he had something which could contain things but the things that he chose to contain in it had an emotional value as well so it was working on two levels for him there's there's a Another paper they mention in here, which sort of hints at something that's a bit further than that. It's, it, it hints that it's almost the discomfort, it's the endeavour that we've gone through. So there's this paper in there which which talks about the... Um, uh, there was a classic experiment on effort justification in which women were forced to undergo either no initiation, a mild initiation, or a mm. severe initiation before joining a discussion group. In other words, hazing, right? Yeah. They were, and the people who went through this hazing significantly valued their membership of that group yes. a degree higher which I guess, I guess a lot of private members clubs appropriate now yes. you can't just join yes. it's not just like signing yes. up and and yes. you know you've, you've got to feel like you've overcome something yes. and and by the fact that it may make mention of it here it seems like it's that barrier that is the access point to the enjoyment I of it. it's really interesting I've constructed this it, I was fiddling I yes. had to get the, yes. the wood the right we, side my, my spouse and I yelled at each other while yeah. we were doing yeah. it there was emotions yeah. involved there's a song by Future Islands one of my favourite bands that not many people have heard of uh, but they've got a song called uh, I think it's called The Chase and the hook is something along the lines of is this love or the love of the chase and that like very much in line with what you're saying Bruce there's an added value of having to achieve something mm-hmm. like if I hit the streets feeling good and I ask someone for their phone number I kind of want to work for it mm-hmm. like if I'm at a bar and I'm bothering a young lady who's having a good time I kind of want her first kind of interaction to be a bit like I haven't really got time for your nonsense and there's something about flipping that mm. to yo call my number right now so I know you got the right one yeah. like yeah, there's, there's something yeah there's Somehow, something in mm, that mm. and I believe it's the same with this idea of like construction as well where if we kind of like roll it back to I guess maybe like our I remember reading um Sapiens And I believe that there's something that's very much embedded in us in humans where that hunter-gatherer, I believe that still lives. Like that that desire to actually... To put food to on our it, own, to work yeah. For it. Get this, like to track it. Like if you're mm. like tracking an animal, and mm. there's you don't want the animal to just walk into your animals trap. in zoos are much healthier when they have to find their food as opposed to when you just put it there. About fifty percent more healthy. So there is something deep and animal about wanting or even needing to earn it. It has a lot to do with dopamine. That's mm. something we've even talked mm. about. I think that's. Um, 
For what it's worth, I went back and read that Elliot Arison study, the one you mentioned, Bruce, hmm. and it is funny How as are you finding hell. times to just casually go around and read the additional I mean, this is also <laughs> a good piece of basic social science, way back from the 60s, I believe. Wow. And here's what they did. They had a mild embarrassment condition. Ostensibly what it was is going to be this um, study about sex. And to be part of it, you had to go through this. It was sort of an initiation to see if you'd be overly embarrassed. Half of them were put in a mild embarrassment condition where they had to read um, a list of sex-related words like virgin. But the subjects in the severe embarrassment condition had to read two vivid, steamy descriptions of sexual activity and then read a whole list of highly sexual words like fuck and cock. In science, people. This is science, people. Right. Okay. So then um, the control group didn't do anything. They didn't have to do any reading. Then they all listened to this really dull discussion about animal mating or whatever. It was just like boring as sand. The people in the control were not different from the mild embarrassment. They're like, no, it's boring as sand. But the people in the severe one said like, oh, no, this was really interesting. This was really worth listening to. All of a sudden, the whole day had to have heightened meaning to them sunk cost of so like they've done something embarrassment bingo and i think this unites a lot of what we're saying right now it brings together this idea of our mind saying i had to work for that it must have been really worth it which is i was chatting to a sports coach a couple of weeks ago and like she'd she'd uh been the gareth southgate sports coach at the last world cup but she was describing when she worked with the new zealand rugby rugby team and their hazing ritual was that new arrivals had to stand in their underwear while the rest of the team did the hacker to them and she oh wow the reason why it was interesting for her is that she was the first woman in the group and so their rules hadn't accommodated it but that aside that hazing ritual of I'm going to be in front of all these people being humiliated. It seems like us overcoming a barrier makes us buy into the That's subsequent right. experience. Right. Illogically. More. Yeah. Completely emotionally yeah. and completely yeah. illogically. That because On the face of it, if you said, would you rather just join the team and be accepted or go through an embarrassing ritual where you're being hazed, you easily would say, oh, I'd much rather just be accepted. Yes. You'd be wrong. That's what's so weird about the human mind, right? That somehow we mispredict. Like, I actually was thinking with this study with IKEA, this means that there are loads of people, including me at times, that are paying somebody else to do a thing, and then I enjoy the thing less. Yep. I'm paying to enjoy something less. So th- this is where the imperfections of the metholo- mythology are so annoying, because not everyone has enough time to do all these things. But it makes you feel like people in the past who loved kit cars, or people who, you know, when they, they had their first car, used to do these cars up themselves they were enhancing their their enjoyment utility, of that yeah. their utility of yeah. that significantly have it's, you ever watched a man wash a car <laughs> like, have you ever watched a man i once was that give man. us the have link you, have you ever watched a man wash a car <laughs> right i've seen I've, I've never i don't think i've seen love like it lavishing i, it I with don't affection. think i've ever seen love like watching i think I've <laughs> I think, be a man. Like, <laughs> uh, no, no, but I say I say man especially because if we're talking about anecdotally, I don't think I've ever seen a woman wash a car. Like in terms of her own okay. car. This is just me personally. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I've I, I don't think I've ever been on the street and seen a woman's car parked outside her house and her washing it. I don't think I've ever seen yeah, it. To be yeah, me personally. Yeah. I've seen several men 
washing their car on the street outside there. And I've never seen love like this. I've seen men play with their kids in parks and it kind of, I've seen them have fun. I've seen them have a lot of fun. I've seen loving relationships of kids and their parents or kids and their dads, should I say, in a park playing. I've seen it loads of time. I've never seen anything as close <laughs> to love it's as poignant. a man washing his mm. car. Like he, like it's not even just like one sponge. Usually you've got like the sponge, you've got like the kind of, what is it? The shaman leather yeah. kind of thing yeah, for like shaming. buffing it. Yeah. You've got the hose pipe, like, and he's out there in like, in his threads. Like usually a really nice car, he's got like his threads on and he's like the attention that I'm going to, this is usually, if you see men who own nice cars, they can go to a car wash and pay someone to do that. They're making a decision yeah. to say, like, this is My the way that I... going to be me doing yeah. it. i baby this thing. Yeah. Well, I imagine after uh-huh. you have uh-huh. washed your own car yourself, regardless of how much it's worth, when you now sit in it to take it out the next time, that's going to feel like a new car. Right. Because you've spent that time. You've got like the vacuum. You've got like extension cords and you've got the vacuum cleaner out and you're getting like all of those grooves. You've probably got like a toothbrush and you're scrubbing at certain parts of it. But so to take what we've learned here, then what you would say is a parent, to take this to a next stage, a parent who affords their kid an easy ride through school He's, he's doing them a disservice because by making school too easy for that kid, the kid feels no sense of accomplishment, that sense of have gone through the, the you know, the, the construction, the, the barrier. And it's no wonder then as a consequence, the kid won't value that opportunity as much. As highly. As much. Totally. I remember it took me, it took me four attempts to pass my driving test. Uh, the first time I failed because I drove on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Damn. The, the big uh, one. The, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the, the tester. I can't I believe remember. that box one. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, I was chilling. I was chilling. Like, I was a bit like, yeah, man, like, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm ready now. And the, uh, the person who was, I guess, testing me, uh, they they eventually said, I'm going to have to let you know now, Akin, that you're actually driving on the wrong side no, of the road. No, no. And I was a bit like, that's very interesting. Shall we continue with this <laughs> test? Because I've yes. 100% failed it. The, uh, the second and third times, I can't remember why I failed, but I remember both of them were really frustrating, where I think it was just like for arbitrary reasons. When I failed the, the third time, I never told anyone I was taking my test because I was a bit embarrassed. I was a bit like, how many times am I going to fail this? When I got home that day, my mum knew something was up. She didn't know what was up. But I remember her coming back to me with a cheque for £50. And that's how much it costs to take your driving test. And she said, book another test immediately. And it wasn't her kind of like feeling sorry for me Mm. or saying, oh, they've screwed you over. This is an injustice. I'm going to speak to the DVLA and get this overturned. And She was like, no, get out there. Mm -hmm. Try again. Keep going keep going keep trying again so um kindly like loosely linked with Mm. what you're saying like if we just make things too easy we dull our life Mm. experience like Mm. we're supposed to overcome things like we're supposed to that's like part of Mm. all of the things that i remember my a lot of people probably forget about their their driving lessons and their test because they passed first time but isn't isn't this adjacent to your previous episode where you talk about people who've had that failure Mm. and they go on to do more Mm. as a result Mm. and it's almost like Mm. as part of the journey these missteps or endeavor or 
having to commit to doing some work appears to make us value the whole of our I, life I better. think it enhances mm. our life experience. There's something so satisfying about confronting a problem and solving it. But then, if you're going to extrapolate that, parents wouldn't be trying to make their kids' life easy. Mm. They would be trying mm. to litter their life with obstacles. That, much like what we do in life, we miscalibrate and we we misanticipate how it really works. Okay. And so it feels like, to a parent, to a helicopter parent, it feels like what I want to do is remove all the, the trouble and I want to make everything as smooth as easy. And we get that wrong. It's almost like with inheritance itself. So many people spend most of their lives doing things that they don't like at all because they want to leave way more than they need to the next generation. Mm, wow. And if they only knew that having this huge nest egg just becomes this thing that is I have to protect, but doesn't allow me to find my own way. You make mm. a great point there, because I imagine if my parents had loads of money, one, I would be benefiting from it I would be benefiting from it now, but two, I'd be less incentivized to make my own. Cause I'd be a bit like, well, someday mm. they'll croak. <laughs> I'm going to get all of this money, all this property, that car that my dad washes and appears to love more than he loves me. I'm going to ride that car myself. It's like... It's Was this your dad washing the car? <laughs> rather oh, playing with we, someone in the past. I, I think we, we just found the, the, the splinter. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Dads don't play with kids in parks I'm coming as much all, as I'm they not, wash cars. The two of we you have unraveled it. me. I was <laughs> never loved it. by my father. It only took 44 minutes <laughs> to get there. To but break we've... you down. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, I think we didn't cover every study in this um, investigation, but I think we did a reasonable job. Um, we had a lot of fun with it. Before we close... Anyone you- who downloads it, shout out yes. to page four, yes. which has the full origami instructions. Yes. So yeah. you can you just can get involved making your own paper frog in this instance. That was my favourite page of the study <laughs> because usually when Dan sends me a study, the first thing I look at is how many pages it is. Okay. And then I'm like, oh man, this is going to be like two or three days worth of reading. But then I, I sift through just to look at how densely written it is. And every time I get a page where there's like a figure or a diagram, I'm like, praise yeah. the sweet and when you Lord. Saw this, this is like, oh, that was oh, an entire yeah. page. Yeah, that knocks a whole page That's of reading right. off. Yeah. <laughs> you can become obsessed with this. So I used to rip out the pages of The Economist magazine that I'd read. So I knew what was left for me to do. Ah. And my, my ex-partner used to see this as a sign of mental instability. She'd be like, what is wrong with you? Why are you ripping pages out of magazines? And it was for me, it was just like, I need to get to the end of it. I need to get light to the end the of load, this. Need, the <laughs> I need to get to the end of it. I need to have this visible sense that <laughs> I've now reduced him out oh, of Oh, this work. is great because now we know what's wrong with me. <laughs> and we also know what's wrong with Bruce. What's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with me. Kitchen tower. <laughs> with Bible quotes. Did you happen to read the very last paragraph where they went off on this little thing where you have these people that are putting, thinking they're adding value to their house by putting kitchen tiling with Bible quotes? Wait, how did I miss this? I don't know. This doesn't sound familiar at all. I could be wrong about this, but take a look at the very last bit, very, very last paragraph. And I thought one of these three authors, I mean, either Michael or Dan or Daniel, one of them in their lives must have bought a house 
that had biblical quotes on the sink backsplash, and then they had to rip them out just the way I had to rip out those Mm. shelving units. And that's what's wrong with me. I think there's something wrong with people that would put biblical quotes thinking they're adding value so that the next person has to come in and destroy it. Yeah. Wowzers. Oh, man. So I would would say to listeners (laughs) – this this is probably on the lighter side in terms of like um word count of some this is totally worth a read because what they're really getting at we've gone off and we've had a, a really fun discussion but what they're kind of getting at is that the eye care effect which appears to be both um uh, utilitarian and hedonic it's also suggesting that what is causing people to do is value self-made things more than expertly made things which is to suggest that when we're being bombarded by, I don't know, advertising, media, you must have the latest this, the, the thing, the, the truest that it's, it's not necessarily going to make you as happy as rolling up your sleeves and crafting something yourself. And not everything in your life needs to be made by you. Who has the time? But suggesting that we should possibly make time in our lives to make more things ourselves because we're going to value them them more than we are expertly made things. Mm. Bruce, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. The two of you are showing your age on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) What a ball. Thanks, guys.